He created the stars. He created the mountains. He created the seas. And he, the creator of the universe, created me. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. We got a microphone on. Check it to check, check it. I'm the Mike Recca. We there? All right. Now you know what I listen to in my spare time. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today and good to have you. I don't know if you guys, I love days like today. That morning start where it's kind of crisp and fall and man, I'm ready for pumpkin spice lattes and football and all that. No. All you haters, when the great words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, haters are going to hate. So just shake, shake, shake it off. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 today. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to have a little help from my tea, hot tea here. I, I don't know. There's been this head cold stuff going around. So I caught it from one of you last week because I didn't have it. And then I got it from you. And so, uh, you know, I'm working my way through it. But uh, anyhow, so if I have to get a drink or a swig of this, that's what it is. But uh, we're going to make it through today. And speaking of making it through, the, the, Paul ends this book of Ephesians. Uh, I love the word that he uses in verse 10. He says, finally. Finally. It, it means I've said everything that I've said to this point to get here. Finally. Uh, and the message is, is great. It's, I am victorious. You are victorious, that through Jesus Christ we overcome, we win. Amen. So if you don't catch anything else that I say today, if you don't hear anything else, just hear the fact that we win, that you win, that through Christ Jesus you are more than an overcomer, you are more than a conqueror, you are victorious. Whatever may be facing you today, Next week, next month, next year, you can win. You can overcome. You can be victorious. It doesn't mean in a life of a Christ follower that we are without conflict. But it does mean that when conflict comes our way, we can be victorious, that we can overcome that. And so it also indicates, too, that we as Christ followers are in a battle and that that battle is spiritual. And we don't like to think about that a whole lot. I mean, you know, I mean, just... Let's just, I mean, like, you know, it's a deal of before coming to faith in Christ, there's a real spiritual warfare that's going on. We just don't realize it. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that unless you're drawn of the Holy Spirit, no man or woman comes to repentance. And so with that drawing of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are convicted. We realize that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. We ask him to come into our heart and come into our life. And according to, according to Romans chapter uh, 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 chapter 9 and uh, verse 10 that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord we are saved and we come to the saving relationship and all of a sudden we begin to realize the conflict between what God wants and what, what Satan wants and, and sometimes when you hear words like that you kind of go like he's kind of going ultra spiritual he's kind of uber spiritual on this subject the reality is it's true. We, we live in a very physical, tactile world that we can see and taste and feel and interact with. But, but there is a, if we could see in, in a spiritual dimension, there's a real spiritual warfare, a real spiritual dimension that's even more so real 
than the physical world in which we live in that's going on around us. But right, if you read the book of Revelation, which really scares people, and there's certain parts that probably really should, the Bible says that, that there will, we will look and there will be a man in the cloud with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. He will harvest the earth and the end shall come. It says that there will be this war that will take place and that the, that the carnage and the blood will flow to the bridles of the horses. There will be, a, that's a point where the supernatural will begin to take on a natural manifestation and the end of the world will be here. Again, I didn't write the book. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not real excited about some of that, except for the fact when you read at the end of the book, we win. And, and so, so what I'm trying to communicate to you today is sometimes we look at the supernatural, the paranormal, and we relegate it to something that Hollywood would produce. And it's like it's some horror show. It's like it's some, some, some scary movie. And the crazy thing about scary movies is that there really is demonic oppression and demonic possession working and manifesting itself in that fashion in the world in which we live. Now, we live in America where everything's under the table. We, we, we go to church on Sunday, and we do what we want to do on Monday, and we act like God didn't see what we do on Friday. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But, but the reality is if we could really see in the spiritual, you know, I mean, I've been in third world developing nations where I've seen people and I've seen things that are just undescribable. Demonic power and people come in possessed and, and that type of a deal. I was having dinner with a missionary that we support. And, and I was in Delhi and he had been a missionary in northern India and in Tibet. And, and we were having this conversation. He was beginning to tell me of the supernatural things, just demonic, crazy things that were happening. And I said, Joe, why is it that we don't ever see that in America? He goes, that's simple. Because if people in America with their church background, if they really saw the demonic and the supernatural warfare that goes on, it would literally scare hell right out of them. They would drive themselves to church. He said, Aaron, look, when 9-11 happened, America was scared. And church attendance was the largest the Sunday after 9-11 since it had been in the 1950s. Because we know that that really exists, but we just want to push it away. And Paul says, hey, there's a real war. There, there's a real battle. There's this real thing, supernatural warfare that goes on. But the good news is he doesn't just tell us that it happens. He tells us how to live it out, how to be victorious, how to navigate this. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, I want to read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 18. I'm going to walk it through Scripture by, verse by verse. But I want to read the message paraphrase to begin. Because some of you, you go, oh, I know what he's talking about, man. The armor of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet with the proper gospel of peace. I, I got the whole deal. And you just kind of check out. And all of a sudden, what I'm about to say kind of goes like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah right? Bueller, Bueller, anyone? It's that kind of a moment. And sometimes when you read the same passage that you've read over and over and over again, and you read it in a different, a different translation, all of a sudden, you, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just sometimes gives a more fuller meaning. Because the Bible was written in three original languages, Greek, Aramaic, and, and, and Hebrew. The New Testament's written in Greek. So when you hear a pastor say, this is what it means in the original language, it's a translation. The same way we would translate English to Spanish, or, 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 or Cantonese to English, there are some words that are lost in translation. The Greek language is very fascinating because it's very much of a word picture. It's almost like we would have, in the South, we have what we call euphemisms. So we have these one-liners. Like it's, that's, a ball lost, that's like a ball lost in high weeds. I mean, they're just, means it's completely lost. It's gone. 
uh, you know, mule looking at a new gate kind of a deal. And so it's just, it's just this, they, they, they depict a certain meaning. And so sometimes you're like, what does that exactly mean? And so when you began to expand it, you began to look at it, you began to get an even more full insight to it. So this message kind of, uh, it kind of sheds a different angle to it. Same passage. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master, Jesus, has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. This is a life and death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Verse 13. Be prepared, for you're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon that God has issued, so that when it's over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You will need them throughout your life, for God's word is an indispensable weapon. And in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. So pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. Keep your eyes open and keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, we've got to prepare for battle. That's what he begins with, this preparation for battle. We're in a battle. There is a spiritual warfare going on. Verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How can I be, as a Christ follower, strong in, in Jesus? So glad you asked that question. Verse 11 answers it. Put on the full armor of God, number one. Secondly, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the first thing is, is to put on the full armor of God. And we're going to talk about that and unpack that in just a few minutes. In the first century, as Paul was writing this to the church in Ephesus, they would have thought of a Roman soldier and what he would have looked like. Thus, it's kind of, uh, it's, that's kind of the example, that, 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 and those are the words and the verbiage that's used. A little bit different than a soldier in the 21st century, but we're going to get the gist of it. The second thing he says is that is to be strong in the Lord is to be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Know your enemy. you got to know your enemy. If you're going to go into battle with someone, you have to know the enemy that you're facing. You've got to know where the enemy's weak. You've got to know where the enemy's strong. You've got to know where the enemy's going to be coming. You've got to know these things. And so he says, know the schemes of the devil. That word schemes in the original language in Greek that it was written in means methods. Think of it like this. It's like a playbook. Satan's pretty predictable in a lot of ways. He doesn't ever try to try to mess with the same, the, the same, he doesn't try to use the same method on everybody, but he figures out a method that will work on you, and he just keeps hammering it from multiple angles. I don't have time to unpack all of this, but it's, it get, to give you scripture, chapter and verse on everything, but, but there are about six different plays that the devil predominantly uses in scripture that we see. Six different schemes. Again, when you read the Bible, you see this over and over and over. That's what's so powerful, Old Testament and New Testament. The first scheme, the first play that the devil uses against us is sin. He tries to throw sin into your, into your life. And everybody, even your sweet, God, your, your sweet grandmother, God rest her soul, uh, dealt with sin. We all have this propensity. We all have this proclivity. We all have this, this depravity that kind of attracts us to something. 
And what you may fall into may not be something I fall into. And what, and what I'm prone to may not be something that you're prone to. But the devil will continue to try to, to try to work and to try to twist and to try to set these things out, these traps, if you would, to get you into sin, to get you derailed. Uh, the next thing would be struggle. He tries to get you kind of offset with struggle. And, and you're dealing with your own, with, with your own depravity. Well, how is that different than sin? Because struggle doesn't mean I'm giving in to sin. Struggle just means that I'm tempted. And, but some of us, if we're not careful, we think that temptation is sin. No, temptation means you're human. Remember, Jesus was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted and tried in every way in which you and I are. So that means Jesus was, te was tempted sexually. He had to be. To be 100% human, to be the ultimate sacrifice, he had to face temptation. He was, he was tempted with his anger. He was tempted with pride. Look at the temptation of Christ. Satan comes to him after the 40-day fast in the wilderness and tempts him. And how does Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. He goes right back to God's word. He leans so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, he would fall. What happens is, is that sometimes we will get so condemning of ourselves and our own struggle that we forget to do what God's called us to do. And the enemy comes in and has victory in our lives. God's not, listen, God has never given you to condemnation. Condemnation is a perversion from the pit of hell. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. But once you have given that issue to Christ, once you've been forgiven over that issue, or even just the temptation that comes, we're, we're, we're instructed to pray daily, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Meaning, there are going to be times where the tempter, the, the Satan, is going to come in and try to tempt you and to destroy you. You are going to be able to overcome the struggle. Another, another scheme or a play is strife. If Satan can't get you off put or, win, or losing by, by messing with you, he may bring some person into your life. That will, don't point, it's not nice. He may bring some person into your life that will, that will bring disunity, that will bring disruption, that will bring strife. And all of a sudden, you find yourself wrestling, fighting, arguing, disagreeing with that person. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a fellow church person. And all of a sudden, you get so involved in that. And we'll find that in verse 12 and verse 13, that this warfare is not about flesh and blood. That, that's not what's happening at all. That it's actually a supernatural thing that's, that's, that, that's at stake. And so, but he wants you to get your eyes off of what's the big picture, and he wants to get your eyes on this person that's offended you, or this person that's spoken this against you, or this person. Uh, stress, anxiety is another way, another scheme, a play that he uses. We, you, we're bound up in fear, and so we're fear when our kids go off to school. We're fearful that something's going to happen. We're fearful when we get on a plane. We're fearful we're going to lose our job. We're fearful of the economy. We're fearful of all kinds of things. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. So every time fear or anxiety comes into our life, we know that's not of God. Never. Did you know that? When fear begins to grip your heart, that's from the very pit of hell. And when you can recognize that that stress, that that anxiety that's coming upon you is not from God, you can rebuke it. You can, with God's word, you can push it away and know, say, God's given me power and love and of a sound mind. Even in the middle of my battles, even in the middle of my adversity, I can have peace of mind. Because the battle's not mine, it's his. Another way he does, if he can't get you with sin or struggle or strife or stress, he'll use success. He'll make you successful. He'll allow you to be successful. He, he won't oppose you at all. Well, how does that work? Because pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. 
Most of the time in our lives, when we come to church, we don't come to church because we just because we having a great week, man. My job's great. My family's great. I'm making more money than I know what to do with. I'm going to go to church. No, usually that's when we go to the country club or we go to the lake or we're on vacation or we, we have other places to go. But when life begins to fall apart, oh, dear God, we got to get to church. This is proven. When the church goes through persecution, the church always grows and flourishes. During times of prosperity, the church diminishes. Why? Because in our own success, we began to believe our own press. Man, I am that good. That really was me. I, I really am this good. Maybe I, I don't need that as much. That's the enemy. It's just these lies. And before you realize it, you float further and further and further and further away, and you look up, and man, you're, you're so lost. Another thing is failure and setback. He just keeps replaying your failure over and over and over like a bad record. And if you're not careful, you just feel like, man, I am so, I'm such a failure. I've had so many setbacks that I'll never be able to get where I want to go. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Again, these are all schemes. And so, so, so Paul tells us in verse 11, so you can put on the full armor of God so you can take stand against the devil's schemes. Know what his schemes are. No way he's going to try to play you. He's going to try to play you. He's going to try to play me. Don't let him be victorious. So, so that's how we prepare for battle. Secondly, we understand that the battle is spiritual. And I've talked a little bit about this, so I won't expand this too much. But verse 12 and verse 13 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Notice that this battle isn't optional. You can't like opt out of this. You can't go, you know what, man, that's a little bit too super spiritual for me. No, thank you. I'll just kind of go to the sweet by and by right now. And uh, I don't really want to deal. No, no. It says when the day of evil comes. And every one of our lives, there'll be that moment where evil will present itself on your doorstep. Satan will come full force against you, against your family, against your business, against your life. And when that day of evil comes, the idea of success is about being able to stand when everything else clears. When the smoke clears, when the dust clears, when everything is settled, you're still standing. That's the goal. And the Bible says that God will give you the ability to do that through his armor, which we're going to unpack here in just a second. But the idea is that, that you're still standing. But evil's going to come. And if you want to fold like a cheap suit and act like it's not going to exist, it's still going to come. If you want to put your head in the proverbial sand like an ostrich and act like it's not coming, it's still going to come. It's just going to wipe you out. The good news is, is you don't have to be wiped out. The good news is, is that you can be victorious. The good news is you're actually going to be stronger when you're done with whatever that is coming against you. I'm not trying to be a naysayer. If you know me at all, I am an internal optimist. I don't even like to be around pessimistic people. But at the, at, the, at the end of the day, you have to divine, define what truth is, what reality is. In the business world, they call this the Stockdale Paradox, where that we have to define exactly what reality is. And if we, if, if we are monkeying with the numbers, if we're playing with reality, we're only fooling ourselves. Stockdale was a POW of, 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 during, during the Vietnam War, and he was in the Hanoi Hilton. 
I was in Hanoi back about six, eight months ago, and it was crazy to see that. And even the propaganda that was anti-American rhetoric that was still being played to today. And we were there and, and got to see some of that. And it was just crazy to realize this is what was going on. And Stockdale said that the people that died in Hanoi Hilton, that they called it in, the, in, in, this, in this prison camp in Hanoi in Vietnam, were people that kept saying, well, at the next holiday, at Christmas, we're going to get out. First of the year, we're going to get out. At Easter, we're going to get out. Fourth of July, we're going to get out. Labor Day, we're going to get out. And when they didn't get out, they died of a broken heart because it was a false reality. But the people that said, no, 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 we're going to get out at some point. We're going to make it through this, which he did. But the reality is, it's going to be hell. And there's going to be some difficult days. But we're going to see this through. Those are the people that were successful. They defined reality. So is true in our lives as Christ followers. I wish every day was perfect. I wish every day was sunny in 75. Wouldn't that be awesome? Especially in January, amen? That's why we all go to Florida. But anyhow, the reality is it's not. And so what do we do in those moments? We remember that this battle is spiritual. So let's look at how we're supposed to fight. What's the battle attire? What's the attire? What's the dress? How do we engage this? First of all, it's the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt, according to this Roman soldier arsenal, was, was, was what held all the other pieces of armor together. It was essential. The belt not only held up the garments, but the belt was connected to the sword and the sheath. The belt was, there was a hook in which the, the, the shield could hang on to, and the breastplate was attached to. That's why Paul says that the, that, that the belt is likened unto truth. It's God's word. It's essential to your life, and in everything in your life is connected to God's word. That's why I just keep saying, go back to the Bible, go back to the Bible, go back to the Bible. Don't worry about what a pastor says or a preacher says or a denomination says. What does God's word say? Period. It's pretty simple when you read it. It's right there. It's the truth of God's word. That's got to be the foundation of your life. That's got to be the baseline of reality in your life. And listen, if you're living a dichotomized life where you kind of break lives into two pieces where your life is spiritual here and then it's your physical reality, your work, your family, and everything else, and there's these two things, the Bible says that a double-minded man, that's what that would be, is unstable in all of his ways according to the book of James. No, no, there's one mind in Christ. Let my mind be in Christ, which means that everything in my world is spiritual. That God, God created work. We talked about that last week before the fall of man. That God created family before the fall of man. That he created family before he instituted the church. And so everything in my world is a representation of who God the creator is and my life the creation. Thus everything is spiritual. Thus it's not into two parts. It's in one part. I will, I will trip myself up to try to divide my world up into two parts. No, God goes with me through the Holy Spirit everywhere I go, everything that I do, and everything that I see, and everything that I am. Amen. Second, we see here is a breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to try to motor through these pretty quick. The breastplate of righteousness, verse 14, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, he says, the breastplate was, was this metal piece that protected all the vital organs of the soldier. It was crucial. It's what protected the heart. That's why Paul likens righteousness as to the breastplate because it's what protected the soldier, protected his heart. Proverbs says that guard your heart, protect your heart, because out of it flows all the issues of life. When David has his sin and his moral failure with Bathsheba and he repents before God, we get to read the prayer that he prayed. He wrote it down. It's called Psalm 51. 
And he drops to his knees before God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your presence from me, but restore unto me, unto my heart, the joy of my salvation. See, I can see a lot of things with my eyes and I can think a lot of things in my mind, but when it comes from my eyes and it registers into my mind and it makes root in my heart, that's when it comes out of my life. I see it, I think about it, and it registers in my heart. But if I will guard my heart, even some things that I see, even a temptation that may float through my mind will never register in my heart if I will protect my heart. With what? With the righteousness of Christ. Not my righteousness. Look, I'm never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be talented enough, fast enough, good enough. You're never going to be able to give enough to be able to protect yourself. It's God's righteousness. It's God's righteousness. It's not man's or my righteousness. It's his righteousness that protects me. Again, we're never created for perfection. Take yourself off of that train. <laughs> Give yourself a break. That's the reason why we were given grace. So many people in church act like they're not supposed to use grace. That doesn't mean you get to go do what you want to do. It means that when you make a mistake, when you sin, let's just call mistakes for what they are. When you sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he forgives you and he forgets. How do I protect my heart? The righteousness of Christ. The next piece in this attire are the shoes of peace, verse 15. The shoes of peace. And with your feet fitted, or the King James Version says, shod. I love that. I like that word. With the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shoes uh, with, with, a Roman, with a Roman soldier, contrary to popular opinion, were not Birkenstocks, Okay. They would have had a metal covering that went from their knees all the way down their shins, like ultimate shin guards, all the way across the top of the foot, all the way down to the toes. So that in battle, a soldier would be able to be protected, his legs would be protected. When he's going through rough terrain, he's protected. When he's going through rocky terrain, he's protected all the way through. There's a certain weight with that, but it was, it was there to, to, to protect him. The, the Bible says it was the, that your feet are fitted that, that, or, or the King James Version says shod, which is like a, a form fitting. It was perfectly fitted over, over the soldier's feet. It was extremely tight fitting. Why? Because it brought security to the, to the soldier. There was no movement. There was no sliding. It was perfectly uh, uh, tight fitting so that he would have assurance in every step. And the bottom of his shoes would have spikes, metal spikes on the bottom, like we would use cleats in a, in a, in a grass field for football or for soccer. And it would allow the, the, the soldier to be able to hold in place and to be able to advance so that he wouldn't fall back, he, he wouldn't stumble. But with every step, that step was sure, so he was advancing. It was all about advancing forward. It was all about moving forward. Paul likens peace under these shoes. Why? Because it's the peace of God that's going to protect you. See, look, here's the reality. I, all hell can be breaking loose around you, but if the peace of God that passes understanding is umpiring your heart, you're okay. When Tammy and I were moving here to Wisconsin uh, almost 14 years ago, I remember that was a season and my grandmother had just passed away. So I was driving from Tulsa to almost to Memphis, just right outside of Memphis for her funeral. And I would pass all these towns and I kept thinking, man, I don't know anybody in Wisconsin. It's cold in Wisconsin. I, I, it's cold in Wisconsin, right? Amen. And so, and I don't know. And God, what are you doing? And then, why can't I? I could pastor in this town. I could pastor and I was going down along Interstate 40 and I could do it. And God, and every time I would do that, I, it would be this overwhelming sense of peace that that's where God had called me to. 
Now, at that time, there was a leased storefront. Um, this church had started. There was less than 100 people. Because, of, because of, 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 of a problem with a pastor that was here at the beginning that, that's no longer here, but what, what was taken care of very quickly, um, there were some major issues that I walked into. The credit was shot. We couldn't get a cell phone in the name of the church. There was $23,000 in the bank. And when I got here, I found out that, that the church was, was, that the city was about to kick the church out of the lease space because it had it expired its conditional use permit. And, and everybody in town had been owed money. And I'm going, why am I? And all of a sudden, there's this overwhelming sense of peace. God, there's better places. I don't understand this. I don't know. I don't understand the context. I don't understand the culture. I, I talk different. Not that I do anymore. I'm just teasing. I'm from Racine, southern, southern Wisconsin. So, and when I got back, I told Tammy, I said, the weirdest thing happened is I was driving. There was just this, I would just feel like this sense of like, what am I doing? Am I crazy? Have I really heard from God? And then there would be this overwhelming sense of peace that this is exactly where he called me to. She said, the exact same thing happened to me, Aaron. Every box I'm packing up. We had, we had, it was our, our first home. It was a, a beautiful new home. It was a builder special. I mean, it was all brick and nice and da-da-da-da. And she said, I'm packing up my house. And I'm just going, God, why am I moving from my house? We can't afford a house in Wisconsin. And, 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 just, and we got to sell this house. And, and every time I would have this overwhelming sense of peace. And I'd, I'd start boxing up another box. And I'm like, why am I boxing my stuff up? What am I doing? We don't know anybody in Wisconsin. We're, we're crazy. People tell us we're crazy. But there's this overwhelming sense of peace. See, I didn't have the benefit of seeing 14 years into the future and seeing what God was going to do. I just knew in my heart. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Is when you have peace in your life, it protects you. When the peace of God is in your life, it holds you. You don't slip. You don't pull back. You don't surrender because your feet are, are shod. Your feet are form-fitted. Your feet are sure. You know where you are. Even when everything else around you is chaotic, even when everything else is crazy, you know exactly where you are. That's the reason why Paul said that the shoes of the soldier are like the peace of God that protects and that holds you in place and firm, even against the attacks of the enemy. The shield of faith, verse 16. The shield of faith. Above all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This shield would have been long. It was a door shaped. It would be able to fully protect the entire soldier. It was covered in leather, six layers deep. It was oiled daily in order to be able to keep the shield from getting brittle and broken in war. And it would allow the arrows not just to penetrate, they wouldn't be able to stick. They would glance and glide off most, in most cases. That shield was also able to click together with other soldiers in order to form a wall. Think of an offensive line. And it would be able to form a wall in order to protect and advance the, 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 um, the army forward. So Paul connects faith with this idea of the shield. That this faith, that trust in God, trust in his word, trust in his power. He starts with saying this faith should be above all. It doesn't mean that it's more important. It just means in everything you do, in front of you, around you, and over the top of you should be faith. It should cover every other part of the armor. And that this faith is what's going to protect you. It's your faith in Christ that's going to extinguish the, the attacks of the enemy. It's your faith that you're going to be able to connect with other Christ followers as fellow brothers and sisters and be able to form a wall of protection. 
That's what I love about God's word. Matthew 18 and 19 says, Where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And if they ask anything according to God's word, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. That's not an interrogative statement. That's an imperative, present tense, declarative statement. That if you link your faith with another Christ follower, that the two of you can stand on God's word and believe for anything that God's word says, and it will be done. The Old Testament says it like this, that one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts 10,000 to flight. It's exponential synergistic power that comes together. That's the ability that faith has. Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, speaking things that are not as though they are. It's not crazy. What's crazy is for me to expect to drop 180 pounds tomorrow. That'd be crazy. Hold on to my pants. I wish that would happen. Somebody just have the spirit of like healing on, on overweight and I could just pray for me. I just lose about 60 pounds in the name of Jesus. That's not going to happen, right? I got to quit eating, which is not going to happen, right? Amen. <laughs> my point is, is that faith is me believing that God can and will. That's got to surround me in the middle of those attacks, keeping my faith strong. How do you develop faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As you're listening to this message, your faith is being built. That's the reason why you go, man, when I leave Life Church, I feel so. It's because you're hearing the word of God and your faith is growing. You want to keep your faith growing? Take God's word, speak it over your life through the week. Because it's powerful. It produces in your life. I, I got to quit preaching. I got to move on. Um, the next is the helmet of salvation. Verse 17 says to take the helmet of salvation. The helmet to a soldier was made of metal, typically bronze or, or brass, but it was individually fitted to every soldier. It was unique to every soldier. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all. It was the most ornate and beautiful, personalized piece of armor that the, that the soldier would wear. It was also very highly visible. It wasn't meant to be camouflaged. It was meant for everyone to see. It was to protect the mind and the head of the soldier. And Paul likens salvation to a helmet. Why? Because salvation, the salvation experience is personalized to you. God didn't just save the entire world. He saved you. God didn't just love the entire world. He loved you. He didn't just die for the sins of the entire world. He died for your sins. And that that salvation experience should be the most beautiful, the most ornate, the most talked about thing in your life. This is sometimes something I don't understand about Christians is that we get saved and we move on. Like that's first base. No, 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 no. That's what it's all about. Jesus said of himself, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus said, I came to be the salvation of the world. The greatest thing the local church can do is not be a kumbaya for Christians to sit together, to be a bunch of navel gazing, just, you know, kind of, hey, we're going to do our thing until Jesus comes back, Christians. No, we're here to be the salt and to be the light of the world, to live our lives in such a way that we see salvation happen. Do you understand that the only thing we can't do in heaven, spiritually speaking, when we get there is see someone who's lost come to faith in Christ? That's what we're supposed to be doing this side of eternity. We're supposed to get our lives right with God and spend our lives helping other people. That's why I never understand why people go, well, I need to get to a place that's deeper. I understand wanting to be deeper. Just feed yourself. Amen? I'm going to preach on this a little bit because I, I can tell I need to mix this up a little bit. Because the reality is that sometimes we find ourselves to be eye chair Christians, like high chair babies. Like we just need to be fed and fed and fed and fed and fed. Feed yourself. Feast on God's word. Get in his word. Let it come into your life and give you strength. 
But the reality is, is that your salvation is the greatest thing in your life. Your salvation should be something that your coworkers know about, something that your family knows about, something that your neighbors know about. Why is it so important that I'm so out there with my faith, Aaron? Because it's very not popular today, isn't it? You can be be any religion that you want to be, but if you're a Christian, whoa. Your rights are protected on any other front, but if you're a Christian, wow, we don't talk about that. My middle schooler came home, and she was in a world religions class and and, and junior high at middle school, and every other world religion was discussed except for Christianity. Why? Remember this, folks. There's only one name under heaven by which man can be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And I'm not saying this for an applause. I'm saying this. Listen, that's what it's all about. And when we go public with our faith, it's not a Heisman to the world. No, 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 no. We love the world. We, 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 we serve lost humanity. We're here because we're just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. It's by grace that we've been saved and that not of ourselves. But at the end of the day, when people know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they may not ask me to be involved with some things. It may protect me from some things. It may keep me from some things. But it also will draw other people to you because I've been in settings where, unfortunately, being the pastor of the local church, people don't always invite you to go party and hang out and that kind of a deal. But the times that they want to talk to you is when crisis is happening in their lives. And I get business people in this community that I've known for years call me. Can we have coffee? Can we have lunch? Can I talk to you? Had a conversation about a month ago with a businessman in the community. Blew my mind. Had no idea he was paying attention or he even viewed me at that high level of integrity. I've been watching you. I know you. And I need to talk to you. Can you help me? I need help. Salvation. The most prominent thing in our lives should be. And lastly, he's the sword of the spirit. Verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword for, for, for the soldier was double-edged, which means it had maximum damage, maximum impact. It's the only weapon of attack that we're given. It's the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that God's word is a double-edged sword. It has the ability to stop and destroy the enemy. Remember, when Jesus was tempted of Satan, how did he stop him? By quoting scripture going back to God's word, going back to his word. I'm going to read verse 18 and we're going to close. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He gives us two instructions. Number one, pray always. Pray always. Pray always. Why? Because the battle that you're fighting is not physical, it's spiritual. The battle at your office seems physical, but it's spiritual. The battle in your marriage seems physical, but it's spiritual. The battle in, 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 in your neighborhood seems physical, but it's spiritual. The battle at church seems physical, but it's spiritual. We don't wrestle, we don't fight against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. So because it's spiritual, we pray and pray always. I could do a six-week series, I won't, on, that, on just on the different kinds of prayer in Scripture. Prayer of supplication, prayer of devotion, prayer of intercession. I mean, there, there's all of these prayers, and they're different in Scripture. Not, not recited prayers, but an attitude in which you pray and how in which you pray. 
Whether you start your day with prayer or you end your day with prayer, Paul says we should pray without ceasing, which means we should keep a conversation going. It's like Snapchat. You're constantly chatting. You're constantly back and forth. It's like if you text someone and they don't reply to you immediately, but they pick up the conversation an hour and a half later because they just saw their phone and they reply to you and then you pick up and then you kind of keep going back and forth. It's this ongoing conversation. That's how it should be with prayer. That we not just began with prayer at the beginning of the day or end with prayer at the end of the day, but it should be this ongoing conversation. There are times I get in my car and I'm driving to an appointment and thank God for hands-free calling so nobody thinks I'm crazy, but I'm just praying. It looks like I'm talking to someone. I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to someone else on the other line. I'm just praying. This morning, I'm kind of an early riser, so about 5 o'clock, I was doing about a two-mile walk and just going through my neighborhood. And if you were around, and somebody from Life Church lives in my neighborhood, so I saw your yard sign. I prayed for you today. But anyhow, and, uh, and so I, I, I was going, and, and, and I was walking, and I'm just praying. And I really don't care if people think I'm crazy. Stand in line, take a number. <laughs> You're not the first one, amen? But I just, because my heart's full and I'm praying for this service and I'm praying for you and I'm praying for the worship and I'm praying for the Appleton campus. I'm praying for online campus. I'm praying for what God's doing. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying. Because folks, there are things in your life you have no control over. I mean, I'm a type A personality. I like to control everything. My wife just said amen. I like to control it all. But at the end of the day, There are some things in life you just don't have control over. Matter of fact, most things in life you don't. So you just give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. There's a situation right now that I'm just praying for. I have no control over. I'm not comfortable with it. It's very upsetting to me. But I just keep giving it to God. Why? Because that's all I can do. But this verse tells me I'm doing the right thing. Pray always in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. And the last thing he says there in the last part of verse 18 is never, ever, ever give up. Always keep on, he says. The most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is just don't quit. Just don't quit. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today is not give more in the offering or not sign up for a new ministry or not get into another life group or, 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 or not, not read the Bible, uh, another chapter a day in the Bible or not spend more time in your devotion. Maybe the thing you need to do is just hang on. Because he says, when you've done all that you know how to do to stand, just stand. Standing is what the object is. Is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that Jesus, will, if we'll submit ourselves unto God, he'll raise up a standard against him. So that we'll be able to stand. Having done all that we can do to stand, just stand. Never give up. Do you notice in this armor there's no rear guard, there's no rear protection? There's nothing that protects your backside. Why is that? Because we were never created to retreat. We were never created to surrender. We are never, not one time in scripture, are we ever to turn around and run. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can overcome, the Bible says, because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross and by the word of my testimony. Psalm 108 verse 13 and 14 says, through my God I shall do valiantly because it's he that will overcome the enemy. See, it's, it's, there's a power. There's power in God's word to know that I'm not created to lose. I'm, you can say amen better than that. You're not created to lose. You're created to win. And so, again, I hope today I've got in your kitchen and kind of rattled some pots and pans. I hope I made you think about it. I hope I pushed a couple of buttons. 
But I hope more than anything else that when you walk out of this room today, that you feel like, man, I can take on this week. I can, I can go through this week. Whatever you're facing, that you're, God's with you, and he's going to protect you if you will but trust him.